Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Robin pulled a fast one on me and switched out the intro there. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. <laughs> uh, well, good afternoon and welcome to the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, the Bo's Nose Show is really all about you, and we'd like you to call in because we will go whatever direction you want to take us. Call us at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and jokester extraordinaire, um, let, let's, let's her know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And uh, we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But, you know, there was a little election yesterday in, in Oregon. Um, and I think that's kind of why the intro mu- music got changed a bit. Uh, because I was fortunate that in the primary, I had more than 50% of the vote. You know, that magical 50% plus one in a nonpartisan race means you're the only name on the ballot in November under Oregon law. And I had about 56% of the vote. And uh, my main opponent only got about 39%. So it was a pretty resounding um, victory on my part uh, for a re-election. So I get to spend another four years being the West Lane County Commissioner. So you'll keep hearing the Bo's Nose Show. And, and you know, I didn't start this show because I thought it was going to help me get re-elected. I started this show because... I was having trouble getting people to actually come to community conversations at coffee shops and restaurants and libraries, et cetera, around the district. You know, the attendance was dropping off at those. I tried changing the times and the days and trying to do as much as I could to promote them through the local newspaper, radio, and Facebook. And uh, I started doing this show. Robin invited me to do this show. And the statistics on the number of people that listen far surpass 
in, in a single show what I would get doing a month of community conversations as far as being able to talk to people directly. So this is the virtual version of community conversations. So we want it to be a two-way thing, just like going to a coffee shop. So that's one of the reasons why we like you to call in at 646-721-9887. And uh, that's really what this show is all about. So I, I'll keep doing this show uh, right on through my term here and because uh, it's about having a conversation, letting people know what's going on in Lane County. Maybe I'll start bringing a couple guests back in uh, so we can talk about specific topics. But, you know, it's really um, my way of, of trying to have a conversation with my constituents and anyone else that's out there in, in the Internet, because we've we've talked to people in other states and other areas of Oregon and we talk about just about anything, you know, politics wise, et cetera. Um, so, you know, feel free to call in again, 646-721-9887. So we did have this election yesterday and, and I want to first talk a little bit about my race because I've got a couple things um, I'd like to kind of just talk about in, in general about running a political race and being a candidate and also just um, sort of being a, a conservative candidate in a very blue state. And one of the things that now I've run, you know, I've run for county commissioner three times now. I ran for uh, Lane Community College Board of Education successfully once. And I went, ran one race for uh, state legislature back, way back as a libertarian, mostly just to advertise the Libertarian Party. Pretty sure I wasn't going to win that one, although I did set a record for the highest percentage a libertarian candidate has ever gotten in a legislative race um, in Oregon. So I hold I, I hold that record. So I consider myself a pretty successful um, campaigner. But one of the things that's really difficult in Oregon is you feel like there's as a conservative candidate, there's one set of rules for the conservative guys. And then there's another set of rules for the liberal folks, the progressives. Um, and, and it happens time and time again. And, and you just, you, you see it constantly and it's almost like running um, with a handicap. I feel like I, I'm, I'm, you know, in a horse race with handicapping where they put weights underneath, you know, in this, under the, the jockey's saddle to add weight to a horse, you know, to handicap them. And that's kind of what it feels like when you're running as a conservative in Oregon. We have to follow the letter of the law or somebody will call us out on it and we will get, you know, there'll be you know, articles and newspaper stories and television, everything about any misstep we make in election law. So we have to make sure that we are um, just right on 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 the money with with all of our um, campaign finance reporting we can't be late on anything all has to be accurate because we know we'll get called on it for you know you know a couple hours late trying filing a, a campaign finance transaction so we you know we have to have you know have to be super disciplined about campaign finance we have to be super careful about what we put out uh, as campaign literature about our opponents or anything or about even about ourselves 
that everything is factual because if we're the least bit non-factual or or somebody can cast a shadow of doubt it becomes a news story because you know the press will reverberate any accusation from the pro progressive liberal side and then even things like yard signs we have to make sure that our yard signs are all back on private property where they're supposed to be we have permission to have them on the property we're in and they're all the correct size you know all that good stuff because if not that'll become a news story about how we were illegally putting yard signs up now when it comes to the other side you know they don't seem to have to be on the same set of rules you know i noticed my opponent in this election you know started out with with a, a blatant mistruth that it, it took me several weeks of letters from an attorney to get her to finally retract and then she didn't do a full retraction as she promised to do um and it was hard to get the press to pick up that story at all you know and it, it was you know it continued on in some of her campaign literature that came out very late where she had some pretty much untruthful stuff in some late campaign literature but you know she just knew she wasn't going to get called on it um when it came to signage almost every sign i saw for her was in the public right away in fact i saw ones that were obviously put in by her campaign at the corner of highway 99 and mill iron road um, that were actually up against highway 99 between the, you know the sidewalk and highway 99 on the corners and they were the larger signs of hers not the smaller yard signs but the larger ones that her campaign team was putting in and so obviously in public right away with no permission you know that it, but you know they stayed up you know odot didn't take them down i imagine if i put my sign there it would have been gone you know stayed up the entire campaign i had i saw her post signs illegally in right away in junction city in florence i know people called the cities and complained about them they never got taken down now in the past i've had cities you know contact me because you know somebody got a sign from me and didn't realize that they're not supposed to put it in the right away and might have and they've collected the signs you get a call saying we've got a couple of your signs at our public works you know mine have been collected in the past never saw hers get collected you know just that kind of that bifurcation of trying to run with a handicap it seems like and it just you know it was gratifying to see that even with all that the half truthful statements the um the you know the the late campaign finance reporting because i know that there that there were times where i was pretty sure she had made expenditures and it wasn't showing up within seven days on the campaign finance reporting because i would get a report that somebody got a mailer which means it had to be printed and mailed several days ahead of that and um even after several days after somebody received it there was nothing showing up for that that mailer finance wise so um just you know there's all that just seems to be this double set of rules but even with that double set of rules i was able to to get through all of that um you know nonsense and people you know recognized that a lot of it what she was telling people you know wasn't really truthful and i was able to defeat her pretty soundly and I, i'm pretty happy about that i mean 
this is a, a good example of the, the differences in rules. Um, we had a, a forum at the Santa Clara Community Organization rather late in the campaign. And a bunch of her supporters came and heckled and interrupted and um, all their questions were very derogatory. In fact, a lot of them weren't even questions. They were two minute rambling statements on how evil I am. And uh, you know, if that had been conservatives doing that to her, it would have been a front page story about how they were trying to bully her and, and how disruptive and bad behavior they were. Not a word in the press about that. You know, because it's okay for them to do that, but if conservatives were to do the same thing, it would be front page news. Yeah, which is kind of one of the reasons why Trump makes so much news with some of his behaviors is because it's not acceptable from a Republican to do that stuff, but it's perfectly acceptable for a progressive to do that. Um, so it just amazes me how there's like this double standard and how we're supposed to run elections as candidates. Um, as a conservative or Republican in this state versus a Democrat progressive. Um, so I'll get off my soapbox about uh, the double standards in, in Oregon elections and uh, talk about some other results maybe. And you know, happy that I did so well, but I'm really disappointed uh, in Commissioner Lykin not making it to re-election. Um, you know, that, that was a close race, 600 votes uh, difference. And if you look at it, uh, there were 18,000 people that cast votes in my district and only 12,000 that cast votes in Sid's district, um, which shows that there was a real opportunity to get people to turn in ballots that weren't, that just kind of sat on them at home because our number of voters in our districts is, is pretty much equal. And, and it wouldn't have taken very many, getting very many people to turn in their ballots that supported Sid um to overtake 600 votes and it was just an opportunity lost that said probably could have won that election if there had been a, more of an effort at what they call gotv get out the vote uh identifying who supported him and getting them to turn in their ballots and uh kind of an opportunity lost um i'll miss Sid as as a uh, compatriot on the board because the one thing he brought to the table was he was a relationship person. You know, he wasn't the kind of person that was going to remember, you know, percentages or dollars, figures, and et cetera for budgets. But he would remember, you know, what legislator's cousin, you know, married another legislator and, and um, the various relationships and people and all that and knew who to talk to about, you know, particular issues and all that stuff and, and uh, was good in that that um, relationship sort of uh, lobbying effort. You know, I could go up there and I'd be able to talk to a legislator and give them all the facts and the reasons why they should be doing something. Sid could kind of, you know, put together who, who needed who we needed to talk to for support and all that stuff. And we were a good team together that way. So I'll miss that talent of his on the board. And I'm not sure that Joe Bernie brings that talent. Um, and I'm not sure Joe Bernie really understands the limitations legally of the commissioners because some of the things he's talked about on the campaign trail um, aren't even legal. Uh, he made made some statements in a forum about 
investing uh, uh, our reserve funds uh, in economic development locally and using it as a as a lending source for local businesses and it's uh, there's some statutes uh, in in Oregon law that kind of prevent us from doing that because reserves are supposed to be reserves for certain reasons and you're not you're not supposed to um, put them in high risk investments in fact it, you're most most of the time you're limited into putting them into a state uh, investment pool where they do keep them in a fairly low risk portfolio uh, for the whole reason that they're, they're, they have to be available when you need them so um, I hope I hope that uh, Mr. Bernie uh, spend some time between now and next January booking up on, on what you're allowed to do as a commissioner versus what he thought he could do as a candidate, uh, including asking his legal counsel to give legal advice to uh, non-county employees, as he suggested doing in the Register Guard uh, relative to initiative petitions. Um, it's a direct conflict of interest and also um, puts the uh, county council at risk because he's not sure to give that kind of um, uh, advice. And uh, so you know, that, that's kind of where Springfield is, 600 votes. Gary Williams, though, uh, managed to survive to the general election uh, with Heather Buck, and uh, he's going to have quite the race on his hands in November because Heather actually took a few more votes than him, I think less than 100. But, uh, you know, if you look at some of the other candidates that took votes away from Heather, they're not likely to switch their votes to Gary uh, in the general election. So he's got a hill to climb and getting uh, getting back and, and, and being reelected. Um, so that'll be an interesting race to watch. That's probably going to draw a fair amount of money on both sides. It's going to be, you know, going to be the race to watch for November locally. And then then we kind of get to some other local election news. And it looks like the citizens of Eugene didn't like either of the auditor proposals, which I'm sort of happy about. I think the, um, the city council could go back and design the auditor position as an appointed auditor a little bit better than they put it on the ballot. And and set that up to be, you know, get that position hired and appointed and have it functioning, uh, similar to what the county performance auditor. Uh, you know, it doesn't take a initiative petition either uh, referred by the council or citizens initiative to get performance auditor function up and running and and assisting your um, your government in becoming more efficient and and higher producing and you know there's everything that a performance auditor can do for you because you know elected one you know the elected one i'm so glad that one didn't pass because that was a disaster waiting to happen um, one it was over budgeted uh the the salary was overpriced it was dependent on what other salaries were. So when EWEB's general manager got a raise, the performance auditor would automatically get a raise, and uh, the city auditor, I should say. And it was just electing an auditor is not a good way to go. The auditing, performance auditing in particular, is a microcosm of, uh, of accounting. 
you know, auditing is a microcosm of accounting. Performance auditing is a microcosm of auditing. You know, there are just not that many qualified good auditors that would be available to be on the ballot. It was hard enough for us to recruit one. We had to pull one from Colorado in our last recruitment. It took a couple tries to find him. And, it, and uh, Dr. Casey Queer is uh, really hitting the ground running, and we hope to see some interesting results uh, from his audits, as, as we saw from Shonda Miller. So kind of glad to see the auditor thing um, not pass. Uh, they did pass their parks bonds, so all of you folks that live in the city of Eugene, your property taxes are about to go up this year again. Don't blame the county assessor. <laughs> it's not his fault. You guys pass those bonds, et cetera. Your taxes will go up. Only 11 cents out of a dollar of, of your property tax is actually counting taxes. Um, so uh, the rest of it's all the, that city and school district stuff. So if your taxes go up next year and you live in Eugene, um, you can thank the, uh, the parks uh, bonds and park levy that passed um, this election. Then we get to some of the statewide stuff and some other races around the state. And I was um, interesting to see Newt Bueller uh, win so handily in the Republican primary. I really thought that was going to be more of a dogfight because um, they had gotten pretty nasty. And I know that there was a lot of concern that Newt wasn't conservative enough for Republicans. And, you know, in a primary, it's really about, you know, it tends to go towards a more conservative. But uh, Newt managed to convince enough people that he has the best chance of beating Kate, I think, and a lot of people voted for him for that reason, not maybe necessarily that they directly align with every um, policy position Newt has. So that's going to be an interesting race. And I've, I've met Newt a couple times, and I, I know his uh, work ethic and all from uh, the state legislature. He would be an awesome governor compared to Kate Brown. You know, one, the guy is smart. I mean, you don't get to be a Rhodes Scholar and get a medical degree coming out of Roseburg High School um, unless you've got, got a few, few gray, you know, a few brain cells up there, a lot of gray matter. Um, so he's a smart guy. And when it comes to fiscal issues, he's conservative. I mean, he's definitely, you know, does not believe we need new revenue. He thinks we need to you know, tighten our belts, do some reforms, and straighten out the system. So um, it'll be an interesting battle between him and Kate. One of the things about him being in the legislature for several years is he knows where the skeletons are buried when it comes to Oregon government, and he'll be able to highlight some of that when he's running against Kate this fall. So that'll be an interesting race, because um, I do think it's time for a change. There's just been too many problems under the current um, administration, which, you know, we'll talk a little bit about building permits later on, but it just amazes me that Kate Brown's out doing a, a road show about the housing crisis while someone in her administration that's in a direct line of authority under her, working directly under one of her political appointees, an appointee under an appointee, um, so only two steps down from Kate, basically, 
is causing problems for building permits in small towns and, and, and uh, rural counties across Oregon with trying to quickly enforce a attorney general's opinion, which does not have the force of law. Um, so you know, I, I think we need somebody that's going to be a little bit more considered in who's managing some of our state um, agencies out there. And I think Newt would bring in some top folks to manage some of these agencies and you wouldn't see some of the uh, you know cover Oregon type stuff or the foster care system issues that we're having uh, with under a Bueller uh, administration because I think you'd see a lot different management across the state just as we're seeing a lot different management in the Secretary of State's office now and how impactful their audit function has become speaking of auditors um, doesn't have to be an elected auditor, but um, you know the the auditors in the Secretary of State's office, which, who are performance auditors, are doing an incredible job and in looking into some of these agencies. And why that didn't happen under Kate Brown, I never know. She was Secretary of State for quite a while. She could have looked into the foster care system. You know, she could have looked at DEQ's permitting. You know, air air quality permitting system. You know, there, there are lots of things that that Secretary of State Richardson's been able to look into that she never seemed to be bothered with. So looking forward to Newt versus Kate um, come the fall. You know, the Battle of the K's. Because <laughs> it is Knut. Uh. So, and that kind of brings us down to uh, Labor Commissioner. And uh, my friend Val Hoyle won that race outright. And I know a lot of people don't like Val that that are on the conservative side, and and they you know policy wise they might have good reasons, but um, I've always gotten along with Val, and it's something I've talked about on this show a lot is you have to start in politics with assuming that even though somebody has policies that are in direct conflict with you, the reason they have those policies is because they think it's what's best for the state or for your county or for your city, not because they're evil hearts and, and, and minds. And uh, Val and I have diametrically opposed policies and places, but where we can agree that doesn't violate our principles, we've worked together uh, and on a very friendly basis. Uh, she's a hard working person. You know, she's one of these people that eats uh, and sleeps uh, her job when she's when she was in the legislature. I'm sure she's going to do the same as labor commissioner. And I think you'll see um, some changes in that office compared to the way it's been over the last several years where it got highly uh, politicized and highly partisan. I don't think Val is quite that bad. Um, and I think you'll actually see a much more professional office under Val. So um, I know that a lot of people weren't happy to see her win, um, but I think it's not going to be as bad as people imagine. I think she's uh, knowledgeable in that subject. She she comes out of the, the the labor side of things, and I think we'll probably see a much more professional uh, uh, Bureau of Labor and Industry uh, under Val's um, leadership. So that kind of gets through some of the state stuff. I was, you know, interesting to see some of the um, other commissioner races around the state 
and how they turned out. Um, Tammy Bainey, who uh, is a close friend of Sid Likens, lost her race in Deschutes County, which was kind of a surprise because Tammy's been on the Oregon Transportation Commission. She's been in the legislature. She's kind of a um, pretty well liked and, and knowledgeable person. And, and everybody kind of, I think, just assumed she was going to win. Was surprised to see her defeated yesterday. And it looked like some other um, sitting commissioners got defeated um, all around um, the state. So there's going to be some turnover when it comes to some of the county leadership across the state, just as there is in, in Lane County with a sitting commissioner being defeated in Springfield. Um, so interesting times out there. It was a very low turnout election. That's what just, and I don't know whether it's a, a, um, a motor voter thing or folks just don't care anymore about elections, but less than 30% um, is just almost criminal. I mean, they're, they're countries that would, you know, that folks aren't allowed to vote or they're told how they're going to vote, you know, or there's just sham elections and all that stuff. Here we've got the opportunity to participate in, rep in a representative republic and exercise our, our, you know, inalienable right to cast a, a ballot for our representation in that republic. And people don't even come out to vote. You know, it just um, it amazes me that that happens. And it amazes me some of the other results. You know, and I, I have to get to a couple of results that just make me shake my head. You know, I've, I've met Art Robinson when he was making his first run at Peter DeFazio. We were both on the ballot at the same time I was making my first run for county commissioner. Smart man. He understands it. He's got some great um, policies, you know, but, but, you know, at this point, they've made a caricature out of him on the other side. Uh, and he, there's no way in the world he will ever beat Peter DeFazio in a general election in the fourth congressional district right now. Yet we Republicans elected him again to go up against Peter. It's like he's, every time he's run against Peter, his numbers have gotten worse. And I don't know what's going to change this time. And there were some pretty strong alter alternates to Art this time on the ballot. But you know, I guess he's just got a lot of name recognition. You know, he's got the sign crews out there and puts up a lot of sign. Um, he, you know, He's got a millionaire somewhere that, that helps finance his campaign. His campaign. So, um, you know, I guess you know, it just amazes me that we're repeating that 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 error there, which gets to another error. I can't believe that Republicans repeated. How in the heck did Mark Callahan win another primary election and going to represent Republicans in a general election again? The man is not. Sane. I, mean, I don't know how to say it any more delicately than that. I mean, the guy is a serial candidate. He has no real professional background. He's 
he's got such a humongous ego and is, and is such a gadfly that he switched parties several times to run for for elections um, in his past. And locally, he wore out his welcome so much that when he was asking some some of folks that he thought were his friends, what should I run for next, to get him out of their hair here locally, they said, oh, why don't you run for the Republican nomination for president, jokingly. And he's like, oh, that's not a bad idea. So you went out and got researched how to get on the ballot in every state and set up a spreadsheet and all that stuff and actually got himself qualified to run in Iowa and went out to campaign in Iowa and dragged his daughters along with him at the time who were kind of young and was camping in highway rest stops, et cetera, because he had no money because he wasn't really employed. You know, his poor wife at the time, who is now divorced uh, for obvious reasons. But I mean, he had was that egotistical that he he ran off to Iowa and try, you know, and everybody knows what time of year the Iowa um, primaries are. It's pretty early in the year. So Iowa in the wintertime and you're camping in highway rest stops with young children. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that's who the Republicans elected to run against Kurt Schrader. You know, he's going to get slaughtered again, just like he got slaughtered in the Senate race. But he sounds good sometimes speaking in public, I guess. You know, he talks about how he was an Eagle Scout and how he, you know, supports President Trump and, and you know, all the says all the right things. Um, but man, you know, beyond that, he has nothing behind him resume wise, other than a humongous ego that has gotten, you know, caused him to be divorced uh, and, and leave his, you know, basically non-support of his kid. And it's just, he's just, oh my gosh, how can we put him on the ballot again? So, you know, it's just, Amazes me looking at, camp, at at election results sometimes. But I've been carrying on about elections and stuff for a while here, and I want to give folks an opportunity to call in 646-721-9887 to get into the Bo's Nose Show here and talk to me, your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, let's Robin know you want to get in on the show. But... Um, you know, we can kind of switch the subject a little bit. We'll get away from elections and we'll talk budget in a minute here because I've got a question for you out there in the audience. So I want to repeat that number one time because I want people to call in and give me some advice because we're coming up on a budget meeting tomorrow and I've got to make a decision about this particular thing that I kind of came up with a harebrained idea of how to spend some federal money that we got by surprise in the omnibus spending bill and whether we ought to use it for one-time road projects, or whether we ought to try and see if we can maybe bolster our rural patrol with it, and which way you guys want to go. Again, it's 646-721-9887 if you want to kind of give me some advice here, you know, on, on how we should budget this. But in the omnibus spending bill, we got a reauthorization of two years at a decreased rate uh, uh, from previous budgets of the secure rural schools um, funding, part of which goes into our general fund and part of which goes into our road fund. And this particular federal 
force money is the one thing that we're allowed to utilize to pay for rural patrols. It's it's the you know all the rest of the state funds from gas tax and et cetera have to be spent on the roads. They're constitutionally constrained. But the federal into the road fund can actually be under state law, state statute, can support rural patrol. In fact, we've been using them. It's one of the ways we got back the 24-hour patrol, although at our very anemic rate, that at you know any time during the day, there's usually only about three um, deputies out on patrol covering this entire county, and a sergeant um, that's in, 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 is their uh, supervisor. And what I proposed was, you know, that those payments are totaling about um, over the two years into the road fund, an additional six million dollars above what would have been harvest level. And what I'm proposing to do is take four million of that, set it aside, and pay for five years of adding six new deputies to the patrol division, which will give us one more patrol deputy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So instead of there being three deputies on patrol, there would be four, which would be a 33% increase in, in patrol capacity. But what it really does is it makes um, the guys that are out there a little bit safer. <coughs> Excuse me, because they would have um, backup, uh, more backup available, which is an issue for them right now. Uh, so it's a safety issue for the officers. It might improve response somewhat. I can't guarantee you, you'll notice a whole lot of difference. You might get a deputy a little bit faster on a call. They might get down to a little bit lower priority call. <coughs> calls and response. But, um, you know, what what the trade-off is is they had that four million dollars scheduled to pay for some one-time uh, road repaving uh, projects you know that would be done and you know because that money isn't we're not sure we'll ever get any more secure rural schools money so we're kind of looking at it as one-time money but i was kind of hoping is if we did this investment in rural patrol that by the end of the five years we'd have figured out something to more permanently fund patrol and maybe even expand it further and this would be a first step in that expansion at, at a you know one of the things that was really difficult when we passed the jail levy was it we passed the levy with all this funding but we couldn't hire people fast enough to spend it which was one of the reasons why we built up a big reserve and we ended up having we ended up being able to cut the levy rate for a couple of years because we had a huge reserve we built up because we couldn't hire deputies fast enough to open the jail cells back up really fast so we finally you know it took years but we finally up to um, 367 jail beds when we were down around 120 um, but that ramp up took quite a quite a while and it might actually be a good thing to start adding back some patrol deputies because that way we won't be trying to do it all at once. And hopefully by the end of five years, we'll figure something out um, other than this, this SRS money. You know, whether it's a, an enhanced law enforcement district or we've gotten, you know, some resolution on Capitol Hill about the uh, 
potency lands and their harvest levels, um, you know, it gives us five years and at least adds something to patrol, which for me is is really important because it's also about traffic safety a little bit. You know, one more deputy out there will be that many more times people see a deputy out there on the roads and might start obeying the traffic laws a little bit better. Um, not that they're going to write that many more tickets with just one guy extra on patrol. So I kind of want to know what your thoughts are. Road projects or one more deputy 24-7 for the next five years. What do you think? I mean, what do you think, Robin? What, you know, what's your choice? Well, I would uh, I would take the deputies because of uh, the response time and everything right now. Yeah, I, that's kind of where I'm leaning too. But I just you know kind of it is it is you know we do have we have been putting off a lot of road projects and this will delay some of them. Um, but we do have extra money coming into the road fund from House Bill 2017. Nothing like we used to have. I mean, our road fund, our capital improvement plan used to be $100 million, and, and we're, we're looking at $26 million right now for a five-year capital improvement plan, but that's way better than it was. Uh, under the House Bill 2017 is helping bolster that quite a bit. But, um, you know, so there, there is some, you know, we have a lot of deferred maintenance out there, um, and this the, that $4 million would go a long ways, but... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards the deputies, too, because I just think we need to do something law enforcement-wise out in the rural areas. Yeah, and you don't think about it unless you become a victim of a crime of just how important that is. Yeah, yeah. When you when you call and they tell you that's too low of a priority to send somebody, you know, for a property crime or something, the only time they really respond is, is I'm in the house and I can hear the guy breaking in and, and I'm alone, you know, as a woman or something like that, they're going to, they're going to send somebody, you know, if, if it's, you know, I came home and my house was robbed and I think I know who did it. They may not be able to send somebody because it's property crime, but there's no current threat of life. You know, that's really, you know, with such a, a lack of, of patrol, you see that kind of so you know one more person out on patrol we might get to a few more calls but um you know really you know looking for people's opinions on that one like to know what you think looks like we might have somebody um robin's checking in with them right now we'll probably get them on the line just a second so robin we got somebody on the line We do. We got uh, Eric uh, coming on here. All right. Hey, Eric, you're on with uh, Commissioner Bolshevich. Hi, Jay. Um, uh, hey, my name's Eric. Eric, and I'm uh, from the I'm from West Eugene, or the West uh, Lane County area. And I was uh, hearing this discussion here, and I had another option that you might want to think about. I don't I don't know if you guys have ever considered it, but how about a 10-hour deputy or 12-hour deputy, depending on what your the sheriff's department schedule is and a uh, community service officer to handle those non-emergency report calls and free up deputies to handle priority calls. So, um, you know, a, a deputy is a deputy in some ways. Um, and, mm -hmm. and 
if, if, if you if we try and um, you know like you're talking like daytime snack we do have some resident deputies that stay in a certain area for their mm -hmm. for um, their 40-hour shifts we have one that stays west of the tunnel one that stays down in south the south part of the county one that stays up up in the McKenzie um, part of the county and um, mm -hmm. you know that that helps with some of that low priority crime but the um, you know it's kind of like do you do you if we put somebody in that position we start responding to those and we're not able to get to a a life safety thing like we had um, a call from Dune City last year where there was somebody with a gun threatening a, a family that was on vacation in a vacation rental down in the Dune City area and it took us 45 minutes to respond you know so you know is that is that acceptable versus you know do I spend money on on somebody that's going to go out and, and and follow up on property crime I I, I, I kind of I kind of want to get deal with the, the life safety issues first um it's just uh, no absolutely I to yeah. yeah I totally agree what I was going to say was a compromise to try to get some accurate because let's get real a lot of people don't even report property crimes anymore a lot of these crimes just go unreported. Oh, yeah. We don't know really how bad our crime rate is. Um, I know I'm a, I'm a former law enforcement officer from California, and I've, I've reported crimes here before, and I just I just stopped because the response and, and the what they happened was just abysmal. So I was just trying yeah. to think of a way to get you pr uh, priority time frames, you know, your, your, your peak call loads, get an actual deputy, and then yet still have the availability to have people come in, a non-sworn officer come in and actually take care of some of those calls of residential burglaries with no suspect information and all that stuff to um, get a better idea of and handle some of these calls. Because, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of property crime and a lot of non-violent crimes that don't, just don't get reported or not accurately reported. Yeah, we are using some volunteer folks. Um, to follow up, you know, when people call for a property crime, we'll sometimes we send them those self reports when we can't get somebody out there to report to actually mm -hmm. take a report. And we're actually doing about getting people out to take the reports. Um, we yeah. have, have some volunteers doing, and, and uh, we also have volunteers following up when they mail one and they don't get it back. So we're, we're trying to get mm -hmm. a higher return rate on those, getting so we get better yeah. statistics. One of the things that, that the one limitation to this particular money is if we do spend it in the sheriff's office, it has to be spent on patrol. Because that, that's the way the state statute reads. It says, it, you know, because the patrol is related to the roads and road yeah. safety. So if, if, you, if, you're, if you get somebody that's a non-sworn officer on the payroll, it wouldn't be, you couldn't fund it with this money. Even though you, you can't do that because I was a tra I was actually a traffic CSO and I actually did accident I did accident investigations all the way up to fatals. So we wouldn't have yeah, deputy we yeah. would have to have deputy we wouldn't have deputies or officers respond to those. We would have CSOs handle those calls and all the way up to fatals. So I mean they would they would yeah, do the accident investigation. Yeah, one of the things we've done in our shortages between us and OSP was also understaffed. Uh, OSP does all of our accident investigation work, so we don't have to keep people okay. trained. And we do the response for them to state parks. Um, 
you know, if there's a state campground that has a call, we're doing the response when it used to be OSP. So it's kind of one of the, those trade-offs we've done with them so we don't have to Not spend um, deputy training for accident investigation. They don't have to respond to these state parks and get off, of, which sometimes are pretty far off the state highways that their primary responsibility is. So, yeah, um, yeah it's kind of, it, it, yeah. Uh, it, the, our public safety system is a bunch of bailing wire and, and bubble gum right now. <laughs> I was just looking, looking to see if I could add a little bit more uh, duct tape to the system with this, this transfer of money. Well, yeah, I would, I would definitely encourage deputies then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sounds good. But you know, either way, you're encouraging it to be spent in the sheriff's department, not in public works. Yes, I, you, life safety comes over public works. Unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, the roads are in bad shape. I have to agree, but public safety has to come first. Yep. All right, Eric. Well, I appreciate you calling in and appreciate you listening Thank to Bo's No Show. No problem. Okay. You have a good day. Hey. Right. Bye bye. You too. Yeah, Eric makes a very good point, and I can understand how it becomes uh, disappointing at times. Like I, I remember this is probably five, ten years back. When I think it was City of Eugene captured somebody that was stealing cars, and they made a deal with them: if you tell us where ten of the sixteen cars you stolen, we'd uh, you know let you off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's uh, yeah. The underreporting of crime here is pretty amazing, um, and that's where you know that's one of the things when I when I was first running and we were running the original jail. Uh, levy. Everybody, uh, there was a certain amount of people that were pushing back on that, saying, "We're not a high crime area. Why are you worried? Why? Why are we going to spend money on jail beds? We don't need them." You know, and I had to explain to people the only reason we don't show up as a high crime area is our system is so poorly funded that one, people don't report crimes, and two, we're not prosecuting a lot of crimes, so that statistically for violent crime were underreported somewhat because we're not, we weren't, at one point we weren't prosecuting enough. We've gotten a lot better about that with um, some of the additional funding we've managed to, to uh, uh, bundle together. And, uh, but our property crime reporting is so far off the mark and, and is, is just incredibly underreported. And, and so trying to compare it, you know, talking about us being a safe community and, and there's not a high crime rate is mostly just because people have stopped reporting it. Right. And I hear that day in and day out. And, and uh, but but people were using that as an argument for why we didn't need the jail levy. <laughs> well, asked in the surveys, how many people feel safe just walking downtown Eugene by themselves at night? Yeah, I think. Uh, Lindholm has done some survey work about um, how people feel about downtown attitudes uh, about six months ago, and it wasn't very, wasn't very. Uh, um, people didn't feel too safe down there. Although it was improving somewhat since they started all that work down there um, on the park blocks to try and get that some of that behavior straightened out. And some of the groups of, of, of the gangs of folks that just would hang together down there. Um, and I have to admit, you know, because I see that pretty much regularly because the county offices are right across from the park block. Park blocks have gotten a thousand percent better. 
problem is, is some of those guys just moved around town a little bit. Like now they all hang out on Willamette um, Street near Broadway and, and uh, Olive near Broadway. Yeah. You know, kind of, isn't there like a buy two store or something right there at, at Broadway and Olive? And that's where they all seem to hang out fairly close to that because that's where they can get their cheap beer. Um, and and of course, you know, the city's solution about banning dogs downtown. Yeah, that worked out really well. <laughs> Those criminal dogs, you know, especially the pedigrees, you got to watch out for them. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I want to thank Eric for calling. We still got about eight minutes left in the program. 646-721-9887. Call Jay and say congratulations. Yeah. Oh. Thanks. Or they could call me and tell me I'm absolutely nuts for pulling money out of the road fund to pay for sheriff's deputies. Um, or they can tell me it's a good idea, but I really want to know their 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 opinion about that. And uh, I think, you know, that's really um, what I'm struggling with a little bit, you know, and I know it kind of, and it's not a permanent funding source for those deputies, but neither was the jail levy. That's why I'm doing it five years like the jail levy was. I'm figuring that somewhere about year four, I've got to figure out how to continue that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and it gives me four years to figure that out. Um, but and, and I want to say one thing because uh, the sheriff would want me to say this. If we do make this budget change and add those positions, it will take almost a year for all of them to be on the street. We might get some lateral transfers and all that, but it generally takes 11 months of training for, to take a corrections deputy before they're driving their own patrol car. Uh, but what you will see is that they'll be driving in a car with a uh, senior officer doing the training. So at least even there, there's an improvement almost right away in that there's backup in the car <laughs> with, yeah. with some of these guys. To fully have them out there by themselves on patrol takes about 11 months. You know, there's things like there's cars to be purchased, you know, equipment and all that stuff, um, outfitting the cars. So it, it's not like if we pass this budget item um, this time, July 1st, when the new budget comes into place, is not going to instantly add a deputy 24-7. It's going to take a while to ramp up to that, but it'll be about a year. But then, then they'll be fully up to speed took almost a full five years to get the jail fully up to speed because we were trying to hire so many corrections deputies uh, that it took that long. But that's 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 a different story. Um, this is much less of a of a uh, increase of much more incremental. So got five minutes left on the Bose Nose show. So let me know what you think. Six, four, six, seven, two, one, nine, eight, eight, seven. And press one lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. In the last five minutes, I want to mention something I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is building permits. We talked about this yesterday at our board meeting, so if you want to go back and hear all about it, you could go back and watch the agenda item uh, on our board uh, agenda yesterday morning. But the attorney general's office gave the state building official, um, who's a gentleman by the name of Mark Long, and who happens to be the son of Stan Long, who's kind of famous in this area as a local attorney, uh, Harang Long, uh, was the offices that he helped uh, found, and he's also been involved in those lawsuits about the initiative petitions. So it's his son that's doing this, his 
is an appointed position at the state um, that's under an appointed position that's directly reports to the governor. Attorney General's opinion to him basically said that these small cities that don't get enough permits to, to, to hire a building codes official and inspectors and everything else to run their own permit system that have been contracting out to private third party um, vendors, their building permit systems, because these private third parties can work for 10 or 12 cities and a couple counties and stuff like that. So they're getting enough volume so they can keep the staff on to do that kind of work. Um, and it's worked really well for years in Oregon, that system has. And these small towns like Dune City, uh, Veneta, Florence have all used this system, Cottage Grove, we're all hiring these outside companies, and there are about four or five of them across the state, um, and it worked well. But the attorney general came up with an opinion and said that was an unconstitutional delegation of discretionary authority by those cities and counties. And the, this opinion came out in February. Uh, Mark Long decided that he was going to write up an emergency set of rules with no input issued those rules on April 23rd and gave cities 30 days to respond to him about how they were going to meet those rules. And the rules basically say by July 1st, you have to either have um, hired staff internally and their city staff making those decisions uh, about building permits, or you have to uh, sign an intergovernmental agreement with another city that has that kind of staff or you have to turn your program over to the county and they can run it for you or to the state and the state will run it for you. Needless to say, giving 30 days to make that decision uh, to change systems completely uh, is causing major chaos with small cities. And it particularly a lot of coastal and rural cities are involved in this. Um, and it's just creating chaos because there's not a lot of these type people to hire out there. And a lot of these cities don't have the permit volumes to hire that. And they're trying to figure out who they can work with. And if they come and, you know, Florence was asking Lane County if we would take their program and run their program. And we're like, sure, I guess we can. It'll add to our volume of permits that we're already doing for the 100,000 people that live in unincorporated and your 8,000 citizens are going to get in line with those 100,000 because they're not going to get any special priority. So your permit system that was running pretty efficiently in Florence is now going to slow down and you're going to be in line with all the 100,000 people in rural Lane County and it's going to slow the permits down for the 100,000 people out there. So you, you know you can imagine the chaos this is causing in the, in the building industry in these small communities uh, and concern in the middle of the worst housing crisis as far as cost of housing and supply of housing the state has ever seen. Now, I don't know where the governor is on this, but I think as soon as I learned about that, I'd have, I'd have been, you know, basically saying, you are going to roll back those rules and delay them. And attorney general, you know, I know you're independently elected, but you need to talk to your staff about that opinion and see if it's really correct. And uh, you need to slow down, pull back on all this, give folks time 
you know, they've been issuing these permits for years and no one's died in a house that they've issued a permit for. Back off. But I, you know, I don't know where the governor is on this. And I tell you, if she doesn't figure it out, Newt Bueller is going to have a tailor-made campaign issue next November. Because how in the world can you throw the permit system in chaos in the middle of a housing crisis? So got on my soapbox for a minute there, and I hope folks enjoyed the Bo's Nose show today. I just want to take a moment to thank everyone that supported me in this past election and all the volunteers that stepped up and made phone calls, distributed signs, helped me with some of my events, all my contributors, large and small, down to the, the $25 I got from certain people. You know, it was just great support. I really appreciate it. I'm humbled by the margin of victory I had, and I'm looking forward to working hard for everybody in Lane County for the next four years. Thank you for listening to the Bo's Nose Show. We're going to be back next week. I think we're going to be regular time again, just like this week. So keep listening to the Bo's Nose Show, because who knows what I'll be asking for input on in my decision-making process, or what information I'll be bringing to you on the Bo's Nose Show as we come to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.